Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. All righty, here we go, Corey, number 57. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast. Oh, boy. What the hell is the date today, Corey? I don't even know. July 23rd. July 23rd. You know, it's funny when you're in television production. You don't think in terms of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You live your entire life, day one, day two, day three, day four. And day one could be any day of the week. So to me, it's actually the day after day four because I just finished my first bar rescue of season seven. Nice. Pretty exciting, but I never thought I would make it to season seven. Honestly, it would be pretty pretty obnoxious to think that, oh, I'm going to go ten seasons. Honestly, I never thought I'd get to make a pilot. When I made the pilot, I never thought it would go to series. And when it went to series, I never even thought of a season two, Corey. I mean, it's almost sort of arrogant as hell right. to expect a season two or three. Well, shh, I can't believe it, man. We just started season seven. So we're shooting at Salt Lake City. And I got to tell you guys, this is my 185th bar rescue. And I still love it, Corey. I can't help it. You know, it's an amazing thing. And at the end of each episode, you know, in a very simplistic sense, two things happens. I'm given a check and I get a hug. The check was really cool in the beginning. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Of course. But after 185 checks, you know, the checks start to mean less and less. But the hugs never mean less and less. So I find it amazing that I'm so still enthusiastic about it and love it and, and get as passionate about trying to help these people and helping their bars as I did in the first episode. And it's 185 of them, which is a pretty incredible thing. All righty. I got a really stupid question for you. Do you like sex? Of course. (laughs) Well, if you like sex, you'll love BlueChew.com. BlueChew offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom where you can last longer and go those extra rounds, if you know what I mean. And at BlueChew.com, you can get the first chewables with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. And chewables can work faster, buddy. So when you're good to go, you're ready to go, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) And BlueChew can be taken on a full or empty stomach. uh, uh, And there's online physician consults that are free, so it's cheaper than those other two. And it only takes a few minutes to connect with BlueChew.com affiliated physicians. And if you qualify, buddy, you get prescribed online quickly. And in days, you're ready to go, if you know what I'm saying. So, the Chewaboos from BlueChew.com are prescribed online by a doctor and made in the USA. So, BlueChew gives you the confidence in bed every time. You and your partner will love it. Chew it and then do it. That's quite the tagline. I thought it was a pretty cool tagline (laughs) myself. And here's the best deal of all. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code TAFFER. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E C-H-E-W dot com, promo code TAFFER. Anyway, so Season 7 of Bar Rescue started. I just heard some good news also today. I am not know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but uh, Marriage Rescue we just picked up for Season 2. 
Oh, nice. So we're going to do a whole bunch more, and I'm pretty excited about that. And, you know, I love uh, – I'm one of those few television people who actually love my network. I do. I love my network. I love the guys that work there. I mean, I've been on Paramount, which was Spike, of course, but it's the same network. They just changed the name for almost 10 years. So, I mean, these guys are like family to me. It's amazing how close that I am to them. And uh, 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 it makes it wonderful. You know, when you work with people that you love working with, it makes the experience so much better. By the way, if you haven't, hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. So what does everybody think of this whole political climate today? You know, I find it interesting that one side, not picking a side, can call the other a racist, and the other side can call the other a racist. And it's incredible how hypocritical it is. And you can look at it either way, how I say something racist and then call you a racist. I shouldn't say I because I wouldn't do that. But they say something racist and then call the other person a racist. And, you know, I think it's up to us to sort of filter through this stuff. I got to tell you, Corey, I'm sort of a news junkie, buddy. Yeah. I have a, have a hard time watching the news today. I find that, that, that you know, some of the stories are so freaking absurd. You know, some of the statements are so out of line. You know, leave, stay, go, come. But it's just, whew, I think we all need to take a deep breath. It's obviously not summertime in politics. But with all the fighting, all the struggles, all the bickering, all the name-calling, Corey, all the budget overruns, the deficit issues, with all of that stuff going on, our Congress still has the time to enact its national days. And when you think about that, Corey, this is what they put the time into. For example, today is National Hammock Day. I wonder how long that took, how many assistants were involved in writing it. You know, did one side protest it? How about National Rat Catchers Day is also today, Corey. I mean, that's what they put their time into. Also, tomorrow, Gorgeous Grandma Day. Oh, that's a good one. Not a bad one. National Vanilla Ice Cream Day later in the week. National Thermal Engineer Day. It's funny that the National Thermal Engineer Day is probably going to be the hottest week in history. Here's a good one for you, Corey. You'll like this one, National Tequila Day. Ooh, you could use some Tapper's Mix with that. Ooh, little margarita mix? Yeah, there you go. What do you think of it, by the way? Oh, gosh, delicious. Which one did you try? I got a pina colada, and I just grabbed one of the Bloody Mary mixes. I'm going to try that one tonight. Pretty cool. So, so, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I worked on this for almost two years, Corey, and, of course, you've been here. You got to see it, yeah. working on recipes and standard and, and you know, what are this, is the source origin of the juices and the flavors and the spices that we're using. And I'll tell you something interesting about mixers, and, you know, I learn a lot when I go through this process. If you see two mixers on a shelf for cocktails, I might even say two bottles of juice on a shelf, and one is in a glass bottle and one is not. You almost always should buy the one in a glass bottle, and there's a few exceptions to this, and here's why. Uh, juices are hot-filled, and when they're hot-filled, you don't have to put artificial preservatives in it and chemicals in it to, to, to have it stay fresh. When it's cold-filled in a plastic bottle, which it needs to be, you must put all those chemical preservatives in it. So when we did Taffer's Mixologist, you know, we started with we have to have a glass bottle. But that adds hugely to the cost of the product because not only do you have to pay for, you know, a more expensive glass bottle and a custom lid and all that instead of the plastic bottle, but, Corey, it almost doubles the shipping weight. Uh-huh. So it can cost almost twice as much to ship the product around the country and get it to right. all the stores. But I'm really excited because it is right now, as I speak, in every Walmart across the country. 
And I'm really excited, guys. I worked really hard on these. I got a good friend of mine. You may have seen him on Bar Rescue, Brian Van Flandern, who's one of the best mixologists in America, if not the. And got Brian to work with me for two years on all the recipes. And, and the comments were getting online, Corey, over the top, right? Yeah, it's all positive, too. Yep, it's great. And I was on a doctor's today and Dr. Phil yesterday promoting it, and it's really, really exciting. It's my first ever consumer product. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't really believe in it. It's a great product. Personally, I go nuts over the Bloody Mary mix. That's my one, baby. Have you had that yet, Corey? I haven't tried it yet. I'll try it tonight, though. That It's got some kick. You'll like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got a little back-end kick to that, baby. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Corey, when you run a business day-to-day, you know, talking to people is easy. You know, you and I talking together is easy. You know, working on things is easy. You know, payroll and accounting is what's really, really tough in a business. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't put the time into it, and then it bites them in the butt when the numbers don't work. And running a business doesn't have to be difficult. With Square Payroll Services, you can easily pay your W-2 employees and 1099 contractors online in just a few clicks. You can file your taxes, offer benefits like the 401k, and more. And Square Payroll is integrated with Square POS, so time cards and tips are automatically imported into payroll. And they offer fair and flexible pricing that scales with your business. Just $29 per month plus $5 per employee per month. I'm talking about simple pricing. No hidden fees and no long-term contracts. Square Payroll is a win for any business. Right now, my listeners can receive three free months of Square Payroll by visiting square.com slash go slash taffer. That's square.com slash go slash taffer to receive three months of Square Payroll. Anyway, it's National Cousins Day and National Amelia Earhart Day. That's an interesting one. National Merry-Go-Round Day. You almost think every day is Merry-Go-Round Day, you know, particularly in our politics. National Hot Fudge Sunday Day. How about this one, Corey? National Threading the Needle Day. Huh. Now, I normally don't say the F word on the show, but what the <laughs> f*** is that? I mean, how does uh, National Threading the Needle Day? First of all, who is the lobbyist or person that even suggested that? Was it somebody in the needle business, somebody in the thread business? Was it the National Sewing Association? How does something like this come to be? I'd love to research it. I bet you somebody's grandma, you know. Something like that. You know, but I'd love to. I wonder if you can go into the archives in Washington and say, okay, who wrote this act, right? Who was a congressman or whatever that wrote it? Anyway, National Hire a Veteran Day, that's certainly probably the best day that I've heard since we started doing this. And, you know, I'll never forget years ago when I ran the nightclub in VAR. Uh, a media group in a convention for all those years. I think it was almost 30 years. We did a program for Hire Vets Day where, where we um, worked with Hire Vet and they, they pushed a button and a military resume would become a civilian resume. And I was on a mission that year to try to get 10,000 veterans jobs in the bar industry because they can work day and night. It's flexible, all that kind of stuff. Well, we didn't hit our 10,000 number, but we hit about 6,000. And I, I was so happy about that. That was just a great effort that we ran. And working with Hire a Vet was an amazing experience for me. But, you know, this is a good thought. You know, if you can hire a vet, do. Period. End of discussion. Uh, uh, they paid their dues. They deserve that opportunity. How about this one? National All, National All or Nothing Day. That makes no sense. It contradicts itself. So why would they create a day that's all or nothing? I mean, what is the point of that? Think about it. What does it mean, Corey? Uh, 
it's either nothing or it's all. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, so uh, 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 but you can choose nothing or all, which right. means it's neither. I'm doing nothing. You're doing nothing. Okay, so <laughs> that's probably what what they were doing when they wrote the damn thing. National Talk in an Elevator Day. How about that one? I mean, these are unfreaking believable, and these are actual legislation, actual government acts. All right, Corey. So this is interesting what you did here. So when we launched Taffer Mixologist. You apparently got hundreds of questions. Yeah, there was a lot. Related to it and other things. So I'm sitting here, and these are not audio files. These are just uh, print-ups that Corey did of DM messages from people on our social media pages. First one is, can you hire me? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, next one, was it fun to work to create Taffer's Mix? It was actually fun, but it was hard work because you're tasting and tasting and tasting and rinsing your palate and tasting and tasting. And, you know, to get all the flavor profiles and the consistency and to make it everything that you want it to be, it's a lot of hard work. It doesn't come as easy as one would think it would be. What flavor does John like the best and drink the most of? Well, and I'm a Godfather guy. I like Godfathers. I also like Scotch. I like bourbon. Uh, uh, my favorite Taffer mixologist one happens to be the Bloody Mary mix. But I'm with you, Corey. I also love the pina colada, but the Bloody Mary picks is, is uh, over the top to me. I love it. Were you involved in the entire creation, concept to release of Taffer Mix? Yes. Uh, uh, Lou Yulu asked that on social media. And the answer is yes. From the very beginning, from the brand, the label, the ingredients, picking the mixologist, uh, uh, I was involved in it uh, uh, throughout the entire process. And then somebody else wrote, I'm not 21 yet. I will be in three months. Is it sweet? No, because it doesn't have all the artificial sugars and sweeteners in it, so it's not. The average margarita, for example, Corey, can be about 350 calories. Our light margarita mix is about 120 or so, I think. Oh, wow. I was going to say, I actually made a pina colada smoothie the other day with no alcohol. I just put some ice in a blender, and it was, it was good. Yeah. You know what else is fun for people? That, you know, to put in one teaspoon of alcohol. It won't affect you, but it just adds a tiny bit of flavor to the drink if you like it. But I love it with, with uh, no alcohol. I just you know shake that baby up with ice, and it's thick and sweet and delicious. What made you decide to make it? Well, you know, uh, I really found a hole in the marketplace. And people love mixology now. People love premium cocktails, premium drinks, premium ingredients and bars. And candidly, when I walked into a lot of stores, what was on the shelves was garbage, in my opinion. And it just, so I saw an opportunity to do it better. And that's what we did. Does it have alcohol? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Any idea when we can try out for the big brain again? How many of you watch Big Brain, which I did for Barstool Sports? What a blast that was, Corey. It's always fun to work with Dave Portnoy and the guys at Sports Bar, but at Barstool Sports. But that was a blast. All right, these questions are getting a little boring here, Corey. Are they made with any artificial sugars? No. When are you coming to LA? I'm actually coming to LA next week. I have some meetings next week. Is it sold in Canada yet? Not yet, but it will be very soon. Uh, uh, will it come to Ireland? I hope so. Is the Bloody Mary spicy? Yes, it is. When and where will they be available for sale? Right now, they're available in every Walmart in America. And which is about 4,478 Walmarts. It's also now available in a bunch of liquor stores and stuff it's coming out in. And last one, what are the flavors? Let's see if I can remember all seven flavors, Corey. We have margarita, light margarita, strawberry margarita, pina colada, mojito, cosmopolitan, Bloody Mary. And I did it. That's all yeah, seven. That's and which is the healthiest choice? They're all pretty healthy, actually. But probably the skinny margarita would be the lowest in calorie count. Anyway, so there's the exciting questions on Taffer Mixologist. <laughs> and when I come back, it's time for... 
in the dark. Can't you do it with a little reverb or something? I can do it in post. I can't. Ah, okay. I caught him with his pants down. We'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Shut it down! All right, Corey, I'm pretty excited about this, buddy. This is my new segment that I've been working on called In the Dark. Now, here's the deal. In this segment, any of my listeners can send me an audio file with any question or comment you want. Say whatever you like. Corey's going to surprise me with it, and whatever comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth. So you ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, give me the first one. Hey, John. Mike from New York here, longtime fan. Our local family-owned bowling alley is transitioning into a bowling entertainment center with a full arcade, fully remodeled kitchen, bar, the works. And my question for you is, what would you say is the number one thing that we need to focus on in order to be successful? Thanks. Oh, that's that's a great question. You know, we've had the opportunity to work with some of the largest bowling operators in the country as a consulting company. And bowling as a sport is not exactly increasing in volume, so it's not growing in popularity, but entertainment centers are. So bowling alley operators, first of all, have dropped the word alley, and they all use the term bowling center today. And they've all added multidimensional entertainment. And that multidimensional entertainment isn't just game rooms and bars and good food and things like that, which are very, very important. It's also reinventing the game of bowling. So they do glow-in-the-dark bowling nights. They do rock-and-roll bowling nights, hip-hop bowling nights, teen bowling nights, girls' bowling nights. So you have to promote the hell out of it to reinvent the game of bowling and make it fun for someone who's never bowled before. And as one who goes bowling a few times a year, and I'm not a fanatic, but I'll, I'll take my staff and we go bowling and we have some fun. It's a lot of fun. But what you've got to do is you've got to get people to try it again. Maybe they haven't bowled in a few years. Maybe they've never tried to bowl before. So how do you get somebody to bowl who's never done it before? Add a twist. Add another dimension. Make it fun, whether it's gutter bowl, whatever it is you do to create it. So energize bowling is the, is the short story. Energize it with promotions. Mondays are, Tuesdays are, Wednesdays are. Focus on food quality. When we worked with bowling centers, we realized that, okay, we got to be able to provide quick food quality. Also, provide deals. A lot of people bowl in foursomes. Do a deal. Four cheeseburgers for X. Four drinks for this. Four beers for that. Play to the foursome so that you can increase the menu price. And maybe only three of the guys would have ordered a, ham a hamburger. But when you sell them in fours, ah, the fourth guy will take one too. I just increased my sales by 25%. So energize it. Do it. Become a true entertainment destination. Reinvent bowling, energize it, build the food and beverage, the games and the other elements around it, and you should have an energetic and fun facility. Good luck, buddy. All right, go for it, buddy. What else you got? Hey, John. My name's Harold, and I love watching your show, Bar Rescue. What is the hardest bar that you had to rescue, and why? Oh, well, good question. Uh, 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 easy one for me, buddy, but a good question. Probably two come to mind. The Pirates Bar, which was years ago. You guys all remember the Pirates Bar. Only because they were truly pirates. I mean, you could not talk to these people in English. It was the most bizarre experience of my life. And then probably the second one, who was my least favorite owner of any bar rescue, uh, uh, was Steve, who was the owner of Headhunters who ripped off his employees, Corey. What a lot of people don't know is when my wife, Nicole, did the recon in Headhunters, 
uh, uh, we had a class five, I think it was called, uh, infestation in that bar of bugs and roaches everywhere. My wife is sitting next to me at the bar, and she's wearing open-toe high heel shoes, and some bugs started walking across her toes, Corey. It was freaking disgusting. Nicole says, that's it. I'm out of here, and she stormed out. And I don't think that made the episode because the music was so loud you couldn't hear what she said. But, man, that place was disgusting. And I did not like Steve at all. What's next, Corey? All right. Hi, John. My name is Natalie. My husband and I are big fans of your shows. I am a health-conscious person, so I'm curious if your new mixtures are healthier choice than some of the other options. Good question. Well, first of all, there's no artificial ingredients, so that's a pretty good start. There's no added sugars, so that's a pretty good start. We use monk fruit as a sweetener instead of artificial sweeteners. And monk fruit doesn't have the aftertaste of artificial sweeteners, but it also doesn't have all the bad side effects and all the health uh, warnings and connections to artificial sweeteners. So the answer to your question, Natalie, is yes. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons why we did it. I'm really proud of them. They're natural, uh, uh, and, and uh, because they're natural, they're far more healthy than so many of the options. All right, John, I got one more question for you, and I'm going to read it. It's a hot topic on all of your social media right now. Would you shut down Area 51? <laughs> you know, this all started with you, Corey. <laughs> you took a picture of me and put a spaceship on it yep. and came up with this idea to put it on the website. Now everybody thinks that I'm one of the million people going to the <laughs> Area 51 march, and everybody thinks that I'm going to sleep at night and waking up in the morning thinking about spaceships. <laughs> well, I'm going to get in trouble on this one. My wife, Nicole, is, though. Oh. Nicole is a nutcase on all this stuff. Nicole is a cons- complete UFO conspiracy theory. The government has kept the secrets from us. They're in warehouses. They're walking amongst us. Uh, uh, she completely buys into it. The answer is no. I will not shut down Area 51. Here's what I think. I think whatever's going on in Area 51, we should let it go on. Because uh, however it ends, it's probably better letting it end than cutting it in the middle, don't you think? Yeah. I'm right there, with, and I don't want to get shot in the face. I don't want to get shot in the face. And look, Area 51 sort of right down the street for us. Yeah. So, so interesting to see. When is this march scheduled, Corey? I don't I think even know. it's September 20th. Wow. So think about this. A million people are supposed to march upon Area 51. So what does the government do in that situation? They can't let them walk in. Right. They can't shoot them. Yeah, it'd be a massacre. So it almost could become like a Waco, Texas there, I say, where there's a standoff. Yeah, and and what happens when something like that happens? And and it's fascinating. I'm really curious to see. What would be interesting is if they get through the fences and they're on their way in, and as they're running in, all the spaceships fly away. <laughs> so they get to see them fly away, but they never get to see them in person. So there's still a reasonable doubt. Anyway, what do you think? Or you think the spacecraft there? Um, I think so. I mean, I don't know. I- I'm not big in conspiracies, but they have to have something. Well, you know, they say there's so many planets out there. Statistically, it's more likely that there would be than not. But you know what's interesting? And I must say, you know, I've I've watched some of these uh, um, new shows lately. I also read a bunch of press from the uh, uh, head of UFO investigations for the Air Force, who just retired a few months ago. And he wrote a bunch of articles that were pretty incredible. So... I am starting to believe it, honestly. I'm starting to believe that there's been some connection, that there's been some type of visitation. You know, my view on this is, <laughs> I just hope they drink. <laughs> we'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next.
Boy, Corey, to get your TV today, how many subscriptions do you have to have? Oh, man, way too many. It's ridiculous between the Hulos and the Netflix and cable and then satellite delivery services and HBO. By the time you're done, you have 20, 30 subscriptions and you're paying everybody just to watch TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I want to say it again. Free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. No credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. I don't know, Corey, do you find like legal and court cases and stuff fascinating? Oh, yeah, of course. Big time. So do I. So calling all true crime fans, the Court Junkie podcast is now on Podcast One. Imagine being wrongfully convicted of a crime you didn't commit or a killer is still on the loose even though there's enough evidence for an arrest. The Court Junkie podcast shines a light on all the injustices of the judicial system with deep dives into court documents and interviews with those closest to the case. You can download new episodes of Court Junkie podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. That's fun stuff sometimes. Tapper's back. This is No Excuses with John Tapper. You know, I love doing a podcast. You know, I love hearing from you guys and, and audience call-ins and in the dark. You know, all the stuff is great. There's, there's nothing I love more than interacting with all of you guys and getting to meet you and, and know what you think and how you feel. And you know, it's a blessing to be able to do that. But the interviews that I do sometimes are really special. Sometimes they're household names that I interview. Other times, you know, they're not quite household names, but they're people who have really influenced me. I'm really proud to have this guest here this week. Now, I confess, and those of you who listen to me know that I'm a hockey fan, and those of you who listen to me know that I'm a bit of a nutcase about the Las Vegas Golden Knights and the first season to the Stanley Cup and all the historic records that we've created. Uh, uh, and there are a bunch, by the way, for those of you who, who are shaking your heads right now. But, you know, every once in a while, you, you meet a player or somebody in any sport, no matter what it is, who just sort of stands out in a the crowd. There's something about him. Ryan Reeves is a winger for the Las Vegas Golden Knights, played for the Pittsburgh Penguins before he came here. When Ryan Reeves was young and playing hockey, a coach came up to him one day and said to him, Listen, Reeves, if you want to continue playing hockey and make it to the NHL, you've got to learn to fight. You're the kind of hockey player who's got to learn to fight. So Ryan goes and learns how to fight, literally how to fist fight and the right way to box and fight and comes back on the ice as an NHL player, and he's one tough son of a bitch, boy. Ryan Reeves is the muscle of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. He's the guy who hits harder than anyone else and takes a hit harder than anyone else. And it's fascinating when you consider the influence of, uh, of the power players, the fighters on a hockey team. Every team has to have one to win. They're tough they create penalties, they create moments from nothing, and they create a certain vengeance, if you will, on the ice, a competitive level that typically doesn't exist. Ryan Reeves is that guy here in Las Vegas. And uh, Ryan, buddy, you and I met a few weeks ago at a charity event, yep. but there are a few things in my life the past few years that have touched me more than hockey, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, a goal that you scored, Ryan. 
couple years ago that got us. Uh, 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 I think in Winnipeg. Cup, in Winnipeg, yeah. that's right. That's it was it was it was the the goal that got us in. Yeah, the, against my hometown too. Yep. Yeah, they hate me. That's there. right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so it's really a pleasure for me to have Ryan Reeves or Revo, as he's well known. And Ryan is a winger with the Golden Knights. And uh, honestly, buddy, when, when it comes to heart, you are one of the, my favorite hockey players that's playing in the game today. Thank you. Appreciate and, that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people dream about being athletes, you know, and, and, and think that things are easy and, and, or change direction in life. And you knew you wanted to be an athlete when you were even just the youngest. Young, young. Oh, yeah, young, young. My, and, uh, and your dad. Yeah, football player, CFL, a little bit in the NFL. Um, but, yeah, just an athletic family. You know, we, me and my brother played every sport possible. And the good thing about my dad and my mom was they never pushed me to any sport. It was just whatever you enjoy doing, you enjoy doing. Well, me and my brother kind of dominated every sport when we were younger, so we enjoyed doing it all. Um, and, and we were really good at football. My brother was really good at basketball. I was good at hockey. And, uh, yeah, I just progressed from there. So I was an okay athlete when I was a kid. So you were the kid who was good at everything. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I was actually a little bit hated. We, I, I was just talking to my buddy about this uh, a couple of weeks ago in gym class. So I, I, I feel like I developed a little quicker than everybody else. I towered over everybody when I was, yeah. you know, grade three, four, five, six. And so when, uh, sorry, at recess, we'd play football. So at first I wasn't allowed to play with them. I had to go do something else. And then I was like, all right, Revo, you can play, but you have to play quarterback, and you're not allowed to run. And then it was, okay, you can be the receiver, but when you catch the ball, the play's dead. No more running. And then it was, <laughs> okay, you can, you can run, but you can only run on one foot. But it was like, well, just let me play. Come on. Wow. So uh, uh, were you better at that age because of a natural skill, or you think it was desire? And I'll tell you why I ask. When I was young, I played baseball. And there were moments where I chose not to dive for that ball. <laughs> and I knew that there were friends on the team who in that moment would have chosen to dive for that ball. Yeah. You were the diver, weren't you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, gym class was my favorite time of, uh, favorite time of the day. Um, but, yeah, I was, a, I was a tryhard. I was one of those kids that had to be the best at every sport. Um, but I think my dad kind of put that in me. He yeah. was uh, – you know, if you watch me on the ice, I'm very physical. Yep. I don't go around people. I don't really have the hands to go around people. Yep. He was the same way. When he played football, he ran through people. And, um, you know, the, the one story that always sticks out, uh, kickoff return, I catch the ball. I run down the left side. I dance around one guy, and I run out of bounds because I run out of room. And my dick, can we swear on here? Yeah. yeah. Okay. My dad comes over to me and grabs my face mask. What the f*** are you doing? It's like, what? He's like, you go through him next time. And so next play... Uh, or a couple minutes later, exact same thing. Catch the ball and kickoff return. I run left, same kid right there, and I put my sh- my head right through his shoulder. Broke his collarbone. My dad comes wow. in the field. That's what I'm talking about, baby. But it was like him. it was those things that that made me the player that I am from when I was younger. So at a young age, you learned that the risk or the pain was worth it. Because of the reward. Absolutely. That's a powerful lesson as a young kid. Yeah. I, so, and I had a lot of those. You know, I, I remember I got hurt one time, and I, I laid down on the field, and uh, it was my shoulder. And my dad came up, and he's like, what's wrong? He's like, ah, oh, my shoulder. He's like, can you walk with your shoulder? Yeah? Well, get the fuck up then. Yeah, get he's like, don't you ever game. lay on that field unless you can't walk. I was right. like, oh, pop back up, walked over there, and... Never laid down again. Well, I don't know how you do it after some hits in hockey, buddy. How you just skate right Well, I like dishing them out. I don't like taking them. That's why I, I, yeah, I oh, dish yeah. them. Yeah. You know, nobody can hit harder than you can. So it's an interesting point, though, when you think about, you know, Revo as a young kid who, who is taking risks physically, 
right, and taking risks emotionally. You play really good in a game. A couple of guys hate you because of it because you're too damn good, but you're okay with that. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. You hurt your shoulder. You're okay with that. Absolutely. So at a young age, you became a risk taker. I don't know if you've ever quite looked at it that way. No. No, I, I don't think I did. I think that I just looked at it like um, I just always wanted to be an athlete. And to be an athlete, you have to work as hard as you can no matter what yeah. people say, no matter if it pisses people off or not. you gotta, yeah. you got to go out there and do what you got to do. And, Were you um, always this disciplined? No. No, unfortunately not. You know, I... I think I had a lot of natural ability when I was younger, and then people started catching up to me when I was in junior mm. and and uh, getting you know around twenty one. Yeah, and then all of a sudden I was a little smaller than anybody else, everybody else. So then I started really getting in the gym, and you know my natural ability couldn't carry me any further. Now it was time to put in that work, and when I realized that, then I started excelling. Wow! So that's fascinating. So natural talent took you to a certain level, then skill started to take the people around you. Exactly. To surpass you, in exactly. essence. Yeah. And that was a kick in the ass for you, I guess. Yeah. Oh, a big wake-up call. Yeah. Because yeah. these guys that I was, you know, that much better at, you know, all these sports are all of a sudden catching up, and now I'm not the best in the league anymore, and I'm not dominating everybody anymore. And, um, you know, we had we had uh, one of those days where it was, what do you want to do when you're older? I said, well, I want to be a hockey or football player. Mm-hmm. And the teacher looked at me and said, well, no, I need a real job. I was like, no, no, that's, that's my real job. That's what I want to do. Um but when I realized people started passing me, then it was, okay, well, if I want to do that, i got to get my shit together here. Right. So you suddenly pulled it together. And, and then, uh, you know, I love the story of when you chose to be a fighter. Yeah. I love this story. So you were a hockey player. Yeah. You were doing okay. But you had a style of hockey that had certain benefits and disadvantages based upon the way you played the game. Tell right. me this story because I love it. So, um, you know. Going back to when I played football, very physical, and I carried that onto the hockey into the hockey ring. Yep. Very physical guy. Everybody knew me because of that. Uh, when I'm playing junior, my very first year, you're seven. I was 17 playing against you know some 20 year olds, some 16 year olds, whatever it was. And uh, very early in that the first year, I got into a fight with a 20 year old, and I did okay. And the ref came over to break it up, ended up popping my shoulder out. And ever since then. I, I wouldn't say I didn't fight anymore, but I was a little more hesitant to. Uh, and then I got drafted into uh, by St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I was in the minor leagues for a little bit. And the year I was supposed to be kind of getting a shot to come up, uh, one of the coaches uh, that was in the minors, he knew he was going to be called up to the NHL. And he sat me down and was like, listen, if you want to make the NHL, you're going to have to start fighting. You're going to have to start sticking up for yourself and sticking up for teammates because that's the role you play. That's the type of player you have to be. You're a physical player. Right. You're not going to be a skilled player. You don't have the skill for that. And I I took that to heart. I went home that summer. That was at the very beginning of the year. And I went home, and I think within a week I I was taking boxing lessons. Um, I was doing it three times a week. Sorry. Um, Came back the next year, and I fought everything that moved. Anything that was possible to fight, I asked to fight, and I got noticed because of it. And then the next year, I uh, started getting a little call-ups and made, it, made my way into the NHL and made a name for myself. And, and all around that style that you developed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. Does fear motivate you? You know, I get, I get that question a lot. I don't, I don't find anything really like, scary in the, in, in the job. When, when I think if you, if you ever watched one of my fights – you know, you see those guys, they're like foaming at the mouth, they're bouncing around, yeah. they just want to rip your head off. I, I, don't, I don't do that. I've, I'm very calm when I fight because I like to see what's happening. I like to see the fight come to me or take it to them, however, you know, however I see that mm-hmm. situation. 
Um, it's not emotional. Sometimes it's emotional, but most of the time, I, I've had a couple ones. I had one uh, against uh, you know Kane in the playoffs. Yes, that yes. was that was one of the ones where I was foaming at the mouth, and I <laughs> I probably didn't do as as good as I I should have right. because I just I wanted to tear his fucking head yeah, off, right. and I, I got too emotional about it. And if I would have just stayed calm, I probably would have tore his head off. Yeah. So so it's interesting, but I'm talking about fear in a different way. For example, when you were younger, and people caught up to you in skill level. It was a little fear, I think, that your dream was going away. It, it, you know, it was the fear of, well, I, shit, I said I was going to be a, f- a football or hockey player my whole life, and now people are catching up. Well, now what am I going to do? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't the best student because I was so focused on sports that I was like, I don't need this stuff. And, it was and, everything. Right. Sports was everything for yep. me. And, you know, I was wrong. About, I shouldn't have done that for sure. I'm, I'm very lucky that it worked out for, for me. You. Um, if not, you were screwed. Screwed. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what I would have done. My, my grade 12, I was sleeping half, a cl- half the class. So it's fascinating. So that fear or concern, uh-oh, this is getting away from me. My yep. dream might not come true, really changed the way you behaved. You went back and you trained. You worked really hard. Years later, now you're playing in minors, right? Yep. And you told the same thing. If you're going to make it, you need to do this. At that moment, it was sort of taken away from you a little then too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you stepped up. So it's interesting where going to the cup, of course, inspired the shit out of you, oh, yeah. and you played great. Uh, uh, but fear of not reaching your objectives has been a powerful motivator for you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, it's a scary thing to you know, even as this league's progressed, uh, you know, I'm considered one of the last kind of heavyweights in the league. Um, you know, there, there were guys, even in the last six years, five years when I was coming in that, you know, they go out and play four minutes a night and all they did was look for a fight. Right. And that's how I was viewed for a long time because that's kind of what I did. I was playing four or five, six minutes. And if they had a tough guy, you, you're probably going to get a fight. Right. And I didn't want to become one of those guys that got pushed out of the league because that's all I could do. So, you know, I see those guys leaving and all of a sudden now I'm not in the gym as much throwing weights around. Now I'm working on my speed. I'm working on my hands more because the you game's changing. move the cha- puck. Yeah, and the game's changing, and I have to change with it. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to be gone. And, you know, my dream of playing in the NHL ends before, you know, before I really get to do what I want to do. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I was a big Blackhawks fan. That's okay. And I grew up in New York. I was a Rangers fan. But I lived in Chicago for many years and had season tickets to the Hawks. I know it's a... And, the Madhouse. Uh, back in those days, Bobby Probert used to play, yeah. who was exactly the kind of player that you're talking about. He was right. a bulldog, but he'd play three to four minutes, and he'd get in a fight for most of them. But you have a finesse, you know, that, that you know when to have that kind of a finesse. And, and uh, you know, I watch you, and it's almost like Bar Rescue. People say to me, John, you're so mad. I'm not as mad as people think they are. It's sort of strategic. Right. If I well, scream, you got to give, give it away sometimes. Yeah. But but if I scream loud enough, maybe you'll freaking hear me. Right. It isn't anger. It's a strategy. Yeah. And I'm thinking when you're on the ice, it's the same thing. You know, I'm going to get in a fight because this serves the game well. Right. Not me at the moment. Yeah. But it serves. The, so it's very strategic at times. Fighting, fighting has become you know even more strategic now because you know they're they're putting rules in place to take it out of the game. You know they have the instigator fight. They have. You know, uh, all these guys have to come in with visors now that, that didn't have them. So yep, yep. You know, soon you're going to see everybody with visors. Yeah. Um, and so especially with the instigator rule, to go out and start a fight when it's just like you're just starting a fight, not only does it, you know, you get you have to sit in the box for 2, 5, 10. So it puts your team down for a, a penalty where you yeah. usually wasn't, and it's just not worth it anymore. So you got to be very smart about it. Especially when it's a five-minute penalty. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so it's... it's uh... 
and now you're come up from the minors, and you're in NHL ice for the first time. It's about 2005 yeah. for the Blues. No, drafted 2005. Oh, drafted five. Yeah, yeah. So your first time on NHL ice was? Um, oh, man. was against the Anaheim Ducks. Would have been three, four years. So 2010? 2010. I just yeah. got I'm pulling it up right now. So October 11, 2010. Yeah. Okay, buddy, you're on NHL ice. Yeah. How'd you feel? Nervous. Very nervous. Um, they had a heavyweight in their lineup, um, uh, Peros. Very well known around the yeah, league. Yeah. And uh, I get out very first shift, and sure enough, he comes right after me. He's like, hey, kid, you want one? I was like, let me <laughs> let me get one shift under my belt. And I had that one shift. You actually said that to him. Yeah, like I just I just wanted to play a little yeah. bit, you know what I mean? Like let me skate around a little bit. And so I had that shift, and then I didn't play a whole lot the first period. And then I came out the second period, and um, I, I think I got a hit, and one of the other guys came after me. And it was a guy I actually had a little history with in uh, from juniors, uh, Kyle Chipchera. I used to be all over this guy, and I, I've laid him out a couple times in the jun- junior. So he came after me, and I think the adrenaline of everything—I forgot to tie my tie down on. And so when you don't have your tie down on, and you get into a fight, and your jersey comes off, yep, automatically kicked out of the game. So I finished the game with two and a half minutes of ice time, four hits, and fifteen minutes of penalties, and I was gone. <laughs> and that was my NHL debut. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the quite the first day. Wow. So so. Um... Now you, you're you you're in the NHL for a couple of years. You're doing well, buddy. You know you're developing a good name for yourself. You go to Pittsburgh, right? And it's yeah. a great franchise, right? With a great history of playing. And then you get a phone call. Do you want to come to this organization in Las Vegas in the middle of the freaking desert? Yeah. Was that a tough choice? Well, it wasn't a choice. That was a uh, hey, you're coming to the desert. I, that was a trade. So um, was it tough? Was it a tough reality? Let me put it that way. You know, it was the only tough part was I had been in the same organization with St. Louis for seven years, yeah. uh, and then all of a sudden, in six months, I'd been traded twice. So in my that gets scary. Yeah, in your head, you know, I got traded to Pittsburgh, and they were just, just defending Cup champions. So it was like, oh well, shit. These, you know, the best team Great in the team. world wants me, um, and so that was, you know, it was hard to leave St. Louis, but it was really exciting to go to the best team in the league. Um, and St. Louis is a hell of a hockey town. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and congratulations to them for winning, yep. whatever. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and then I get I get the call from Vegas saying I got traded here, and, you know, in the back of my mind is, okay, well, they're the best team in the league in the West right now. They really want me, so, you know, obviously they want me for a reason, but, you know, why are all these teams getting rid of me? And, you know, I think I thought, why is everybody getting rid of me first? And then when I got here, I was like, no, you know what, no, I'm, I'm, I just got traded to the best team in the West, you know, no, let, let's do this. I'm, you know, I'm excited. And I hadn't been playing a lot in Pittsburgh. I don't think he really, the coach there really appreciated my style, let's say. And and that's okay. Not all coaches do. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, Turk Turk definitely likes my style here. Do you take stuff personally sometimes? No, not really. Because when you think about being traded like that, it's sort of a rejection, right? It's sort of a slap in the face in a way. But yet you seem to get stronger every time by those kinds of things. Yeah, well, you can take it either way. You can take it as a rejection by the team that traded you, or you can take it as... Acceptance by the team that won. Exactly. And I, Very and good point. I think I took rejection for about five minutes, and then um, you know, knowing that I'm coming to one of the best teams in the West, and also Kelly McCrimmon, who's the GM here, yeah. um, he was my coach, GM, owner, and junior. 
So really, and kind of a mentor for me uh, coming up through oh, the so ranks. So that made it great. Yeah, so I was really excited to play with him again. He's he's a guy that um, you know even on off seasons, you know, he was still in Brandon, and I would call him every year, you know, a couple times uh-huh. a year, and just shoot the shit a little bit. He's he's kind of a guy that uh, I, I owe a lot to in my career for sure. Big part of your life. Big part, yeah, yeah. So so you know, I always found it interesting when uh, you know I'm friends with a few of the players and have a great relationship with the team and. You knew you being one of them, how how the newness of the Golden Knights created a team dynamic that's fascinating, and yeah. it's almost like a business logic. When you go into an existing team like the Blues or the Penguins, there's little cliques and groups, of course, yeah. right? And some people like it, some people don't. And and but when you came to the Knights, that stuff didn't exist yet, did it? Because it was new. Didn't exist yet. Still doesn't. Yeah. I, th- I think um, the culture that they built from day one, and the fact that everybody was new, there was no, there's nobody like, oh, I've been here already. No big star. Exactly. No big stars. <laughs> right. Everybody was brand new, so everybody had to kind of gel right away. And I wasn't here at the beginning, but when I came here, that was just the feeling. It was just like everybody's on the same page. Everybody likes everybody, and that's why the team works so well. When you get onto some of these teams where you have a big superstar or a couple big superstars, and these clicks. Those teams don't always work, no matter how much talent you have, because you want to go to war with your team on and off the ice. And if you don't like each other off the ice, it's harder to go to war on the ice. Of course. So, you know, isn't business the same, though? Oh, absolutely. Businesses get these little compartmentalized, little clicky groups and stuff, yeah. and departments. And, and, but, you know, if there's anything you've learned is when you break that, shut, that stuff down, and turn into a true team without that. Oh yeah. Then that's when the magic really happens. Absolutely. And I really thought the sum of the team was better than the team itself because of the energy that that team created. Yeah, no, it's a, you know, there's a buzz around this team and you know, obviously we create some of that buzz, but you know, the city city buzzes with us yeah. for sure. You know, I moved here 7 years ago from Florida. You moved here 2 years, a year and a half ago. Yeah. A year and a half ago. Yeah. And, and you moved from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Okay. Is this not one of the greatest cities ever to live in? You know, I I, I go home every summer uh, to live in Winnipeg, and this is the first year in my career in ten years that I've stayed in my in my hockey town. Um, I was here for a month and a half, and I was like, I absolutely love this city. And it was it was weird because I used to come here every summer at the end of the year uh, with the boys. You know, just a party, hit the strip, party, yep. do whatever. Yep. And I would leave here, and I was like, I fucking hate this city. You took everything out of my wallet. Um, I feel like, I feel yeah. like after shit. three days you had enough. Oh man, right, three right. days, two days, barely. <laughs> and I would leave, and I, you know, I would just be like, you know, I, I hate Vegas. I always used to we we would draw out a hat, and I always used to put in Miami. And I came here for a month and a half, and I was like, I want to live here like this. If you get off the and, and I love the strip, don't get me wrong, because you can do anything in the world. You got yep. shows, restaurants, yep. whatever it All is. All night, and and that's what I that's one thing I love about the city, but. Outside of Vegas, it's just so beautiful, and yeah. you just don't expect that because nobody comes in here to see that. They just yeah. come here to see the Strip, and uh, you know Summerlin, I absolutely love. That's where I live too. Yeah, I mean the sense of community, absolutely. The schools, the cleanliness of the streets, yeah. just everything about it. It's an amazing place to live, and it's interesting. You know, if we can be advertisers for Vegas for a minute, oh yeah, people picture the city as blinking lights on a Strip. Yeah. It's a great place to raise a family. Great a place. Great place to live. And we've also proven Vegas is a hell of a sports town now, isn't yeah, it? Oh, the best in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you started, it was rough. You had a couple of tough games. Yeah. So uh, uh, how does that feel when you're, you're in a new city? And, you know, obviously you, you, you feel the vibe, yeah. right? You skate out on the ice. They're not exactly happy. 
How does that feel? And, and how did you did you take that personally? No, you know what? It was, you know, like like you said, I, I made a few mistakes in those first couple games that uh, you know maybe cost us one of them. Mm-hmm. Some people say two, okay, um, but it was like it was the first time that this team had lost, I think, three in a row, or the second time all season, and so. You know, you get traded here, but it was like, it's not like I came here to try and ruin your team. I, you, know, you, you guys asked for me, and I'm going to bring what I bring to the table, and I'm going to make mistakes just like anybody makes mistakes. But, I, you know, I couldn't take that personally because I knew, you know, my style would eventually, I'd try and win the city over. You'd and, play, and you'd fit into the team. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, you ev- eventually, yeah, eventually it didn't happened. didn't take that long. No, it, was, it took about a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. What was it? Uh, maybe three, four, five games, and you were there. Yeah, yeah. We went on a little road trip. I think when we came back, it was uh, we were good. And now we love you, buddy. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, big time. So, so um, you love beer. Love beer. Big beer guy. So you're a huge beer guy, and you know, I have a piece of a distillery. Yeah. And I love you know taking things that I love and bringing it to people, and you've done that, and it was really cool because today, literally minutes before you came in. I got a copy of this article. You probably haven't seen it yourself. I just I just saw a quick tweet of it. Yeah. yeah. So it literally just came out now. And a headline of the article is Golden Knights Ryan Reeves gets brewery approved in Las Vegas. All right, buddy. Tell us about 75. 75 Brewing is uh, – so we brew out of – we actually don't have a brewery. We brew out of Abel Baker right now um, who helped us launch this uh, brand. Um, so you had a passion. Yeah. You wanted to introduce a beer brand. So – so tell me the story. How, so yeah, did you I'll, go I'll out and test to, a bunch, and how did you get – give us a story. So let me, let me bring you back a little bit. So okay. my last year in St. Louis during the summer, before, right before I got traded, um, I had linked up with a guy who was, at a, uh, was opening a brewery down there. And I asked him, I want to brew some in my basement. Just try it's it fun. out. And uh, so I, I got hooked up with him, and I asked him, can you show me some equipment, some ingredients? Where do I get all this stuff? And he looked at me and said, do you know how to brew? And I said, well, I was going to YouTube it. And he just laughed at me. He's like, listen, we'll go into my basement. I have a home brew kit. We'll, we'll just brew up a quick batch. So we brewed up a red IPA. He bottled it. It sat in his basement for a while. I went back to Winnipeg, ended up getting traded. He called me. He said, hey, I know you got traded, but this beer is really good. Can I sell it at my brewery? Yeah, no problem. He started selling it. It ended up being so. This beer was just you guys screwing around that night yeah, in his house. Exactly, okay. and and it and it turned into his number two selling beer for a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty wow. sure he still sells it. Um, and so, but then I got traded to Pittsburgh, and that was that. I'm in a new city, so I'm not really trying to you know do anything new. I'm trying to just kind of get um, you know acquainted with the city and, mm-hmm. and comfortable. Um, but then right away, I get traded to Vegas, and. Now I'm in the craft scene. Now, you know, everywhere I go, I want to try a new beer. I want to try the local stuff. You're and also in a big beverage town. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. We give away more in this city than most cities sell. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This is, yeah, this is a comp city. Um, but at the same time, if you look at the craft scene in Vegas, we're about, you know, 10 years behind a lot of these we cities. Are. We are. You know, you look at Portland, Denver, those places have... 20 breweries oh, yeah. in an area. I think there's 50 in Oregon now or something. Oh, there's, yeah. at least, yeah. There's yep. got to be something like that. Um, but there's something like 22 in all of Nevada or so, something like that. So, you know, not only do I have this passion for craft beer, but I see a little bit of a business opportunity as well. And I called my buddy uh, who used to work for Labatt up in Canada mm-hmm. for eight years. And uh, his name's Adam Coates. He keeps telling me I don't ever say his name. Adam Coates. There you go. Okay. Um, there you go, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, so he flew down. Um, I said, hey, help me run a couple of these meetings. I know he's starting up a business up in Canada, a cannabis company. So um, he couldn't do anything with it. 
Uh, he comes for these meetings. He flies back to Calgary, and he calls me. He's like, hey, I know I'm starting this company, but I want to jump on board. I think you have something here. Um, we, we hustled, we hustled, and we got uh, our first beer out in December. And, uh, yeah, we've got, like, about 100, 120 taps around the city and about 100 bars. We're in uh, retail right now, and we're looking to launch uh, four more beers in the next couple months here. Wow. And I must tell you, and I'm not saying this because you're sitting here. It's a great beer. Thank you. And I had one with you together, yeah. and we were together a few weeks we ago. A couple, yeah. I think I posted a picture online. If not, Corey, let's repost that picture of Ryan and I with, with, uh, with the product. It's a good freaking beer. Thank you. You know what I love about it is you didn't start with a brand and a gimmick. You started with a great beer. Well, yeah. You know what? In my head, you can't – You know, I didn't want this to be like a celebrity endorsement. I'm going to throw my face on it and, yeah. you know, and just say, hey, it's my beer, so go drink it. The product had to be good, and I had to stand behind it. So that's part of the reason why I stayed in Vegas. I've been going door-to-door, hustling, trying to get these people to buy it. And, you know, it's been a blast. You know, I don't consider myself a businessman, but I'm, I'm learning, definitely, and I'm, I'm having so much fun doing it. Yeah, well, the fact is, you know, it's, it started with a great product. You have a great passion for it. You know how to manage risk. And your whole life, you've managed risk by compensating it with experience and hard work. Yep. Absolutely. You've done that in your sports career. You've done that in your personal life. So this makes such perfect sense. Yeah. So, so you got a great product. You're leveraging it. You're getting it all around town. And you're going to break it out nationally? Uh, yeah, we're trying to. You know, we want to, uh, we want to become the biggest in Vegas. Uh, and then, you know, people keep telling me the story that Reno and the North and Vegas don't like each other. Uh, they don't, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a little common ground in that. They like the nights up there, and so I, you know, I want to wiggle my way up there first. And That's a good point. Yeah, the nights are the one common thing that we all <laughs> love, exactly, because there is an animosity between the two. Right, right. And so if I can find, you know, wiggle my way up with that common ground, now I can become the biggest in Nevada, and then definitely I want to, I want to branch out and make this a national brand. Yeah, you know, when Dan Aykroyd launched Crystal Head Vodka, he went around to. to Walmarts and, and, and Walgreens all over the country signing liquor bottles. Oh, yeah. And he built a brand that way. Yeah. And, you know, in we, this we actually camp, We actually did that at Lee's Liquor. We, uh, we signed just some random ones, and people yeah. tweeted me. It's like, is this actually your signature? It's like, can't confirm or deny, but it looks yeah. like it. But it's fun if you do some promotions. Say, yeah. I'll be at this liquor store at this time on this day. Right. You know, come get some 7-5. But uh, um, so now you go to the city, and this is getting real now because now you're building a brewery. So you're taking this to the next level? Well, we're not. No, we're not building a brewery yet. I, you know, I think that headline's wrong. Um, I, oh. I got approved for our license uh, to be a manufacturing license. So basically, what that means is we are now our own entity. Before we were a fifty-fifty partner with Abel Baker. Gotcha. And so now we're our own entity. We own all the rights to the beer. We'll just be paying Abel Baker to brew it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think you'll bring it and start brewing it in town? Yeah, it's it's definitely being discussion. You know, I think we grew quicker than I was expecting, uh, yeah. thankfully. And um, you know, with that, we're going to need more volume. So it's it's definitely been in the discussions for sure. Yeah, pretty exciting, buddy. I'm really yeah. proud of you. I Thank think it's you. a great product. I think the packaging is really good. When we first met, I was really impressed with it. Thank you. You know, and, and when you think about the fact that Vegas loves the Knights, Vegas loves you, but you have a great brand. You know, and your brand means something. When I look at you and I think about your brand, your brand says to me discipline. Quality, pride, right? I never see you not looking good, buddy. No, I mean, there's a pride to you in the way you present yourself. So, you know, the kind of brand equity that you have lends itself 
to consumer products like this. So, you know, I love the beer, buddy, so I'm all over it. I'm going to get a bunch here in the office so I can give it to people when they come here as well. Thank you. Thank you. And let's not forget your mixers that you just uh, launched at Walmart, right? Yeah, and I'm giving yeah. you a case on the way out. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, but i got to give you a little shout-out, too. Uh, thank you, yeah. buddy. I appreciate <laughs> it. So what do you think of the season? you got a bunch of new players. Let's just talk hockey for a minute. Yeah. You excited? I mean, um, it's, it's a very different team now. Yeah, but, you know, that I've learned that you, you can't keep a full team. It just it doesn't happen, and, you know, we right. have – so much talent up front and and in the, on the back end and obviously in net that um, the team's going to turn over. But um, you know we got a lot of talent on this team and I think we have two chips on our shoulder now. You know we lost yep. in the finals and we lost out in a way that probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have happened last year. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you know this is going to be a very very hungry team and, and I'm uh, I'm really excited. Like I've, I've been I've been ready to start up the season for about two months now. I bet especially because of the way last season ended. Yeah, absolutely. You know I. It's almost like you're in the middle of your dinner and they pull the plate away. Yeah. You yeah. don't get to eat the second half For of your sure. steak. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I, I usually have a hard time watching the playoffs when we lose. Um, it was impossible this year. I, I couldn't watch. No. I, I, I think I watched the last 10 minutes of the final just because it was St. Louis and I used to play. I wanted to just, you know, yeah. see a couple of my boys lift the cup. But, yep. um, yeah, it was, it was impossible for me to watch. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the NHL, and I don't want to put this in any political situation, but I think it's a fair question. Do you think the NHL is taking the right steps to get the officiating a little more succinct rather than so abstract? Or does that worry you still? Uh, you know, I think they're taking steps to improve the rules. Um, I'm not sure if they've changed them quite yet, but I know they're looking at, uh, you know, for any hit to the head that's a major, that it can be reviewed. Yep. Um, so they're going to send that stuff to Toronto now. Right, based. right. And I know there's going to be some rule changes. There always are. Um, and hopefully we can get rid of some of these. You know, th- there was a couple tough calls in the in the playoffs this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, one in our series, one in the St. Louis yep. and San Jose series. Um, so, yeah, I, there's, there's always room for improvement in any league. And, and you see that every league. Every league changes their rules and, yeah. you know, changes their policies every couple of years. I think when it gets to the playoffs, I think, you know, doing those playbacks makes sense. Yeah. Because I think the games are too damn important. Well, yeah, there's just too much on the line. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And, and, and I say this, uh, uh, I believe we would have made it to the cup. Oh, absolutely. Had it not been for that play. I don't know if we would have taken the cup home, but we would have oh, made I, it I two years have. in a row. Yeah. And it would have been quite historic when we did that. Yeah. But uh, this year. This year. This year, buddy. Yeah. Ryan, it's been a blast, bud. Hey, anytime. I appreciate you having me on. So when people want to find you, yep. uh, where can they go? Uh, 75brewing.com. You can uh, you can find out. You type in your zip code, and you find out everywhere we sell, uh, retail, on tap, whatever you want to find, it's on there. Great. And that's 75, the numbers, the number not the seven, Yeah, the number 7, and then fivebrewing.com. 7 fivebrewing.com. That's the one. Awesome, buddy. It's a great beer. I hope everybody really goes and tries it. Thank you. Yeah, please do. And uh, good luck on another great season coming up. Thank you. Uh, should I let everybody in on a little secret about what's yeah, going yeah, on you in a couple as well. weeks? Yeah, might as well. Okay. So, so Ryan and I became friends a few weeks ago. We went to an event together, and Nate Schmidt was also there. Yeah. And we were hanging out together doing a charity event, and we were talking about Bar Rescue, and I twisted Ryan's head. It didn't take much of a fight. It was, yeah, I think it was one, one sip and then we were uh, ready to go. We were there. Yeah. So I've got Ryan and Nate coming yeah. on a Bar Rescue That's episode right. in a couple weeks. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about this, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Out in Salt Lake City, right? Out in Salt yeah, Lake City. absolutely. Well, Ryan, having you here was a pleasure for me, buddy. I wanted to have you here, not because I'm a hockey fan and not because I'm a fan of who you are, but because I'm a fan of what you are. You know, the way you grew up in a sports environment under the pressure, 
the way you made it on talent and realized when you were in your 20s, uh-oh, everybody caught up to me, I'm not so good anymore, and buckled down and went back to work. How you've taken fear in your life and turned it into results. I want the people to hear the story because you inspire me, buddy, and hopefully you inspire the people that are listening. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, number 57. This was a fun one. I always love going through the calendar. You know, starting season seven of Bar Rescue is a great time. I love sharing these stories with you. We'll be shooting in Salt Lake City the next three weeks. If you watch my social media, you will make posts like it's going to be a stressful night tonight, and we'll give you the address. So anybody in the Salt Lake City area, if you want to come to a stress test, come to Reveal. Watch my social media channels. Uh, after Salt Lake City, we're heading into Northern California. Then we're heading down to Albuquerque. So we'll be shooting all over the country. I'll keep you informed on that stuff. Don't forget, you got to check out Taffer Mixologist. I promise you, you will freaking love it. And then next week, we're back with another podcast, number 58. And I'll talk to you then. Take care.